0: You're listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. 3, 2, one. Lift off will start in T-minus 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Hey, everybody. This is Craig Ackerman, TV play-by-play announcer for the Houston Rockets. What's up, everyone? This is Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked on Rockets. This is your boy, Heezy, a.k.a. Raheel Ramzanali. It's Sean from Shots & Thoughts, this is Will, a.k.a. Bias Houston. And this is Chucky Brown, former NBA basketball player for the
1: 1995 NBA champion, Houston Rockets. This is Timoteo Keister. What up, what up? It's Roosh Williams, the
2: Mastodon himself.
1: What's up, Rockets fans? This is Hollywood, Dom Knock. This is Devin White, a.k.a. The Gentleman. It's your boy, Vaughn Wafer. Hey, it's
2: Matt Thomas, radio voice of the Houston Rockets. Five, four, three, two, one. We have ignition. This is Jonathan Sanford, public address announcer for your Houston Rockets. You're listening to The Summit, State of Mind. What is going on, everyone? You are listening to The Summit, State of Mind, the podcast of dreamshakes and stepbacks. And everything Houston Rockets presented to you by the Apollo Podcast Network. I am your host, your Commissioner Kenny. And of course, with me as always is my brother, my tag team partner, the GM, Justin. GM, for the people that are watching a video, you are wearing a certain shirt that we have just released. Go ahead and show it to the people oh, one yes, time yeah. so they can at least yeah. see it. Oh yeah. my gosh, he's gonna the stand up. Of stops, yeah, be awkward. You know, this is great. Our,
1: featuring our boys Tari Eason and Jabari Smith Jr. Yes, yeah, so if you're watching this. The t shirt just released today. So make sure to become a member of the Legion of Stops. Let's bring that defensive presence to Houston, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: love that you talked about defensive mindset and defensive presence. It's actually a perfect segue into the episode. You meant to do that, huh? You meant to obviously, do that.
1: Obviously. You know, you know, you I'm very smart well man.
2: Yeah. Well, well, well equipped. Good man. Okay. Wow. I did not expect that. Wow. That was a perfect lob. I, I have to slam it now. Uh, lob City style. Shout out to Blake Griffin. I have to be able to, I got to slam it. I got to get this down. So anyways, so this is going to be a great episode. Very exciting episode. We're so excited <coughs> uh, to bring this guest for the first time on our show. Uh, let's see if I can give him a proper intro. He covers all NBA, app, basketball news, SB Nation, as well as fan cited. Welcome one time to the summit, Matt. Matt, I I want to say your last name right. Matt Issa? You
0: got it. You got it Oh, did I get it? Matt Issa at the summit.
2: Matt, I don't know. You should have been confident in your first uh, go-around. I wanted to, but I don't want to. Let's go for it. I'm a respectful man. I am a respectful man. I don't want to get it wrong. Got to get it right.
0: (laughs) I must say, you guys have some rock-solid chemistry. I feel like I should just, just sit here and watch you guys talk the whole episode. Not even say anything.
2: No, 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 not this, at all. This episode's about you, man. You are here for a reason. It's
0: about Shane. It's about Shane Battier.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're kind of lobbying it up for us here. So, Matt, welcome to the summit, man. How are you doing today? You doing good?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. Um, You know, just been cranking out some game film for next week's project on Andre Kirilenko. So, trying to decompartmentalize that. Not D. I want to compartmentalize that. I want to compartmentalize that because he's another great defender who does it in a completely different way than the guy we're going to talk about today. But yeah, I'm I'm feeling good basically.
2: No, oh, that's awesome, dude. I'm really happy to hear that. And uh we just appreciate you kind of getting on and getting to talk about a certain r a certain rocket that is very near and dear to my heart. So when we got approached about this, I was I jumped at the opportunity just because I love Shane Battier, he's one of my favorite Rockets of all time. Um, immediately catapulted us to a championship level defense at the very least. I mean, we were championship contenders just by him switching over from a Memphis uniform to a Rockets uniform. And we're gonna talk about Shane Battier in a little bit, but I want to talk more about you, Matt. I wanna, I wanna have you know, I wanna to get to know you. I want our listeners to get to know you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, how you became a sports fan, and, what, and ultimately, what inspired you to become a sports writer.
0: Yeah, so um, my first ever game I watched as a kid, 2006, Game 6, NBA Finals. It's the Miami Heat comeback from down 2-0 in the series. I'm sure you guys loved it. And D-Wade puts, puts on a show, <laughs> and he beats the Mavs, and Dirk looks devastated, and I became the biggest Dirk Nowinski fan of them all. And I was just because like, now hear me out, hear me out. It's like, cause I, I fancy myself as a guy with an underdog complex, whatever. Um, and I, I just, you know, I was good at like losing and I saw this dirt guy lose. I'm like, Hey, he's kind of a loser like me, but he makes a lot of money. So he became my favorite player. Um, and I just, I just fell in love with the game. The, the, the lore of the game, all of its characters. I think it's, it's, it's rich. It's like a, I think of it as like, you know, as a, as a kid, I was really into anime. And I think the NBA is like, it's it's similar. It's like this expansive universe with all these different characters. And they all kind of fit together and they're connected in their own way. Um, but anyways, yes, yeah, so always been a fan of the game since I was seven. Uh, I actually, I go to MSU, Michigan State University. I went there for my undergrad. I go there for law school now. And when I got accepted into Michigan State's law school, I found out that there was like this whole like niche community of people who were not just like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless, but like just like people who cared about the game in a respectful manner and weren't just saying stuff to say stuff. And that there was like this way to make a living off it. I'm like, Hey, I want to get in on that. And so I've been, you know, I've been trying to do that since then I'm going on, you know, two years of, of covering the league. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I am. I'm enjoying the ride um Mm -hmm. yeah
2: dude so i have to know where are you from i'm from uh sterling
0: heights michigan which is about 20 miles outside of detroit michigan but i'm usually in east lansing michigan oh that's a yeah yeah and uh well funny well you i don't know if you guys know this. shane's from birmingham michigan which is like a 30 minute drive from my house and he when we talked on the phone um like I, I could I could visualize where he is right now at this moment I'm not going I'm not going to share it with the audience cuz there's some weird stalkers but like we were talking about like oh what part of Michigan are you in right now and this and that and so yeah he's at his place up north and I know I know where he is uh, but yeah <laughs> I know where to shooting. find you Shane <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love it Wow love so it. yeah dude you're like our first Michigan guy that's ever come on the pod so well, you have broke ground at the summit Congrats. Oh, this is thank way, you. Wait, wait,
0: hold
1: on. Does that mean that you're a big Draymond
0: Green guy? Because so, big green MSU, man. <laughs> yeah, so he's big green MSU, and then he's also – I'm like a huge like data guy. And you know Draymond Green is like analytics guy's dream. Uh, so, yeah, I'm huge, huge Draymond guy, even bigger Magic Johnson guy. One of the reasons I decided to go to Michigan State is because my dad – is like the world's biggest um, Magic Johnson fan. And that kind of played into my decision-making when I was going through that process.
1: That's okay. awesome, man. Well, wow. mm-hmm. i love to hear the roots of it all because mm. it's always so interesting to hear um, that type of background in terms of your influences. I mean, our, the reason why we're big Rockets fans because of our dad. Our dad was a mm-hmm. huge Rockets fan from the 90s. And that was where my influence came from. And that's where Kenny's influence came from. So it's it's really nice to see father-son bonding it's it's a big circle here I love it's it. huge well that
0: my dad's the one i watched my first uh basketball game with the mavericks heat game so yeah he's always been kind of a part of that journey funny thing is he doesn't really read any of my work or listen to any of my podcasts he's he's right. just not he can't really yeah. focus on things Sounds but like- yeah yeah <laughs> but he's very supportive
2: it yeah, sounds like it sounds like my dad, like, like, well, it's our dad as if it's, yeah. it's, I'm making it singular as if my brother is not uh, doesn't have the same dad. But yeah, it's like our it's like our dad. Same way. He's like, yeah, I subscribe. Do you listen, though? He's like, no, I don't really listen. And I'm like, OK, you know what? It's fine. dad. Just download the episodes. It's perfect. It, just that, juice that the counts. stats. Yeah. yeah, just juice the stats, man. I'm, I'm Moses Malone over here. Just just stat pad our stats, please. I love that reference. Can- love that reference. <laughs> Well, Matt, dude, that's awesome. You know, just kind of getting into know because I, I, I purposefully did not want to know where you were from. I was like, I want to know. I want to know his story. I want to know where you come from. And, and that's what I love about our podcast and our platform. Like we, yeah, we're a Houston Rockets podcast, but we really like to welcome different perspectives different people from different cities different states like you're about to you're about to hit us with a with a Michigan type of mindset and I I love it from connections to like Draymond Green like you said to Magic Johnson to ultimately where Shane Battier was from which we're going to talk about and I found it interesting because I did read your article by the way by the way if y'all didn't already check you need to check out this guy's articles and where he writes it we're going to talk about in a minute but dude your Shane Battier article holy freaking crap every F bomb in the world right now. Like I it was really, really well written. Like I was like and I thought and I'm I'm Mr. Shane Batty. Like I'm I love like like I when I told you he's one of my favorite rockets of all time. He really is. Like I love the way he impacted the game minus the you know he didn't impact the game a typical star would you know the stats the the saying was that he was a no stats all-star so you definitely have to check it him out but let's go ahead and move on and talk about the meat and potatoes of this episode let's talk about Shane Battier so you wrote a 10 you're well you're doing you're in the process of a 10-part miniseries right called Blazing mm-hmm. the Trail where you break down the most revolutionary players from the 1990s all the way to the two early 2000s and you decided to write about one of my favorite rockets of all time like I said what inspired you to put Shane Battier on this list?
0: It was, I mean, first of all, it was the memories of him and Kobe clashing in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. this guy was it was just kind of, at the time I was a kid, you know, I've I've shed fandom at this point. I really don't have, I'm fans of like certain players. I'm rooting for, I root for all players. Um to succeed because they're human beings. We're not gonna be mean here. But uh um, <laughs> like as a kid though, all my favorite teams used to get annihilated by Kobe Bryant. And so and he was just this I don't know, he was because I when I started to get into it, he's on this like murders row from like 2008 to 2010, where like nobody can touch him. He's at the peak of his powers. Um and this Battier fella comes along and he's bothering him, he's annoying him and I think it's that 2009 series where Yao goes down Yes. and, and McGrady's already out and that they still apart, they man. still push the Lakers to the brink and, I, and I'm just like now that I've gotten older and I know more about basketball than I did then I'm thinking about it, I'm like how could this be possible like what caused this and a lot of it's him a lot of it's Shane um it was that, and then it was also, of course, the Michael Lewis piece. I think that was like, okay, Michael Lewis came at this from a straight, like, journalistic economic perspective, because, you know, that's what he is. That's his niche. Um, and I, I fancy myself more like a, a basketball purist, analyst, whatever you want to call it, I like scouting. I'm like, I like, okay, let me take what he did and then just expand upon it a little bit more with the information we have by going at some film and by, you know, just interviewing the characters involved in this story and you know, so it happened like that I guess and now we're here
2: that's awesome dude wait so l- l- let's I know we usually save the plugs to the very end of the episode mm-hmm. but let them know like where this what the website is and where they can find these these this 10 part miniseries that you're writing right now yeah
0: so um blazing the trail is a 10 part anthology series about 10 revolutionary players from the 90s and 2000s. Uh, it's at basketballnews.com. It's an article and a podcast series. Both are a little bit different. The, the podcast is like the full-length interviews with the players, coaches, analysts I talk to. And that's more just kind of like this general conversation we're having while the article is a lot more focused on the specific skill set that these guys are revolutionary for. And while it's a lot about the players and their story, it's also about the evolution of that skill set with, like, for example, like we're going to be talking about, shane um utilizing data to gain a competitive advantage that's not that wasn't unique to shane Battier. it happened before but again we're just going in that because i think that 90s to 2000s era is just a sweet spot for nostalgia so we're telling a story of this skill set through that nostalgic player like shane battier but like before him i mean like the pistons create the jordan rules we talked about this in the article and that's yep. like uh A data informed decision made by Chuck Daly and his staff, where they're like jotting down the tendencies of Michael Jordan and making calculated decisions on how to lower his efficiency. Of course, that ends up working quite a few times. And, you know, the rest is history. But, and then today, of course, like if we look at the most recent NBA Finals, the Warriors shift the series, they're down two to one, and they're able to. Turn the series around, win the NBA Finals, in part because of the the decision to force Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to their left on their drives, and that's just like a, a little bit less of an efficient shot for those two. And of course, it's like Al Pacino said in um, I can't think of the movie right in title right now, but uh, he's like, "It's a game of inches." Oh uh.
2: so, man, ooh, yeah, ooh, I can't great difference.
0: Mo- yeah, I can't, gotta can't hmm. think of the, na- the name of the movie right now, but it's you know sports oh, oh. movie, football movie. He's a coach, whatever. Oh, is
1: it any given Sunday?
0: Any given Sunday, there we go. There go.
2: Of course, yeah. Je- of course, yeah. the of course, Justin will get it. He's like the <laughs> he's like the sports guy. I'm Knows revealing everything. My, I'm
1: revealing my age there that, that's, <laughs> quite, that's that is quite the, the aged movie from what I recall.
0: My dad loves <laughs> that movie, but uh, yeah. So okay. okay, that's kind of the background, and that's the plug. That's the plug. We don't have to. We could save the the plug right there at the end. We don't need it. It's got it.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I just, you know, getting to kind of just hear about like where you're, where you're trying to go with it. The ten part series, like I, I love it personally. I love the idea of it. It you, you really are hitting like this pocket and this sweet spot, especially for myself and my brother. I mean, it, it just to like, I guess not even just you, but to give background knowledge to anyone that doesn't even like doesn't fully understand the the meaning of the the name. I mean, we are a big nostalgic people, like. We were maybe two or three years old when we won our titles, but I mean, our, our podcast is called the summit state of mind, which we won our two titles at the summit. That's the whole thought process behind it. So when it comes to like figuring out like what, you know, what, what it means to hit us in these certain points, like you are literally hitting us in the sweet spot right now. So Mm -hmm. like, this is great. Like, this is awesome. Kind of just, kind of just figuring out like what each and every um, player is going to represent, but. Like I said, at the end of the day, this is about Shane Battier. Let's let's go ahead and dive into it now, man. Let's let's talk let's talk a little X's and O's with Shane Battier. You know, he was he was already a defensive juggernaut without analytics. Like I believe that when he came in, when he came into Memphis, and I think you were the one that had posted it. He, they were was Memphis now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was Memphis already one of the, a top defense when Battier played there, and then when he left, they bottomed out as like one of the worst defenses in the league.
0: Yeah, so I think um, I off the top of my head I can't recall. It's in the article, but um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. last season of his time in Memphis, the two thousand five two thousand six season, they are the second best defense in the league, and you know of course they have like good te- defensive personnel. Mike Miller was a solid defender for the time. Paul Gasol yeah, yeah. was uh, there. They a good had a defender. Very solid team, yeah, and Absolutely. um, Mike yeah. Fratello has a knack for defense. He was a defensive oriented coach, so it makes sense. You can't. Pinpointing all on Battier, right? But then of course you go into the following season. He leaves. He goes for Houston, and they are the second to last defense, I believe, in the league without losing really anyone other than Shane Battier and Lorenzen Wright. But Lorenzen Wright, for most of his career, was not uh he was he's not a needle. Pusher, yeah, not exactly. A, yeah exactly not a super <laughs> impactful defender, even though he was mm-hmm. a big man, and that's the most important position on defense most times. So that that kind of illustrates his his defensive footprint. When you see him go. And then in Houston, they go from the eighth to the third best defense, I believe. So the eighth best defense in 2005, 2006 to the third best defense. But if you look at their relative defensive rating, they're three points below the league average, which is like a really good defense in 2005, 2006. But then when Shane comes, they're six points below the league average in defensive rating. And that's like an elite defense. And again, nothing, nothing else really changes there. I know McGrady is an underrated defender. Yao Ming, great paint protector. Mm-hmm. Um great for all. They stand. have, they yeah, they have Tom Thibodeau as an assistant coach. You know this revolutionary yep. defensive assistant coach. But again, it seems like it's bad to me. Uh, Yao Ming, he misses some time during the. Okay, so let me backtrack really fast. So the, you know the 2007-2008 season, Rockets go on this insane. 22 game win streak in the middle of it Yao Ming goes down and they swap him out with a 41 42 year old Dikembe Matumbo who is still like a really good defender especially for his age but is not like the peak Dikembe Matumbo. I'm going to carry a defense Dikembe Matumbo and the Rockets defensive rating does not change at all and there is no they call they think they um one of the things that causes some noise is like opponent three-point shooting. The three, opponent three-point shooting stays the same during this time, so it's not like they got lucky. They were getting lucky with shooting variants. Again, so it's like it looks like to me that for a four- to five-year stretch, Shane Battier was the best defender on top five defenses.
1: Yeah. See that? That makes a lot of sense considering that team, especially all, multiple iterations of that team. The whole time Shane Batty was there, you know, you have Yao coming out, uh, Deke coming in. You have Luis Scola next to him later on in his career in the Rockets where Luis Scola wasn't necessarily the strongest defender either. Mm. You know, Shane was surrounded by players also. Like, was it 2007? 2007, 2006, 2007, we had what, T-Mac Rafer. Lutherhead coming off the bench, Juwan Howard, correct. And then, during the winning streak, you have who else? Because Yao goes down, Carl um, Landry is in there yeah, as well. Yeah, Carl Landry had Gunny. to step in. And with Rick Adelman, the one thing that we do remember at the switch over from Jeff Van Gundy to Rick Adelman was how is the defense going to hold up? Granted, um, his defense was solid in Sacramento, but obviously, this team. Was very different in terms of star power, but I would say Sacramento Kings were highly successful in those early two thousands years. In terms of all that, with the turnover, obviously the defense was the one thing that we were that you we key on. Rick Edelman was there just to brush up the offense because if anyone remembers, Jeff Van Gundy is an offensive mastermind. Obviously, correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just kidding. I love of course, it. I love Jeff Van Gundy. But, you know, he runs a very archaic offense. No offense to Jeff. But love him to death. But his offense was just not, you know, it was a bit past its time. Anyways, with Rick Adam and the way that he ran things, it was just so interesting to see that carryover because of the roster changeover as well. Because even in 2008, 2009, we're not talking about that, but Ron Artest joins the team, correct? And... That's just one of those things where it's just like there's always strong support. Gerald Morey, shout out to him, just made sure to just surround the team with great players. And Shane Batty just seemed like the guy who's just like the perfect counterpart for a guy like Iran, for Tracy McGrady. For those type of guys, he mm-hmm. just seems like the kind of guy that's the steady hand. You know, he's never going to complain. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows what he's great at. And he's not, you know, he's not the best offensive player. He's not going to chase you down with steals, blocks. He won't stuff the stat sheet like people say. He's just the dude that will put the hand in your face. He will put you into the position where you feel extremely uncomfortable. And note, when we when we play basketball, Kenny does the same thing to me. He puts me into places where I just don't like to play at. He's very good at that. He's a defender by heart, by nature. But anyways, um, that's besides the point. It's just impressive to see throughout the years, throughout the roster turnover, the coaching, that the constant that was there was Shane and just how much he carried that defense. Man. And when we look back at it now, it still blows my mind because we look back at those years so fondly and the teams were massively underrated. And he is massively underrated as well as just a player overall. I'm sure that y'all agree.
0: Um, I was going to say,
2: <laughs> carried... Glass, I, so <laughs>
0: I think the... the the key thing about Battier, because he's not a, a big man and he's not this you know event creator, doesn't get a lot of steals, blocks, because of that, I don't think he can like carry a defense like Rudy Gobert, but I think if you put him with really good defensive personnel, he takes your good defense and makes it great. He mm-hmm. makes it—and there's a lot of value in that. And so this is going to sound really paradoxical, so I need you guys to just really follow along here. But like the whole point of this series— like talking about okay so they call battier the no stats all-star so what i'm trying to do for part of that article is highlight his revolutionary skill by pointing out how good he was during his time and if you look at battier it's like okay best defender on a top five defense for five years that's Mm -hmm usually spells all-star to me, especially when mm-hmm. on offense, he's yeah, like sure. the perfect guy to put next to star players. Like he's a great three-point shooter, good screener, solid offensive rebounder for his size. Okay. And another underrated thing, he's such a quick decision maker. Doesn't like waste time with unnecessary dribbling. He he knows how to just read and react, which is especially perfect in Rick Adelman's corner <coughs> offense. But yeah, So that's, that's basically what we're trying to do with the whole series. It's like, okay, it's weird because, so Shane Battier was underrated during his time by the people analyzing the game, but he was actually better off impact wise because he was revolutionary and the game hadn't understood what, like hadn't caught up to him yet. So like back then, so back then Battier is like a top 25 player at his peak, right? Nowadays, mm-hmm. if you just take Battier's game and you put him in today's game, he would be a worse player, even though he has what you'd call the perfect skill set mm-hmm. for today's game. You know what I mean? Like worst player in terms of hierarchy amongst the league. Yeah, and that's of like the whole. The point talent of is a lot tr- stronger yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. So Absolutely. like, the whole point of the series is to, pin- to like point out like because these guys zagged when other people would zig they were actually better off during their time. So they're not just like, like people when they say like he would have been so good in today's game, it seems like they're saying, and I hit on this a lot with the Andre Karolinko one that's coming up. It seems like they're saying they were like a tragic figure, like for they, their career didn't become all it needed to be because they weren't in the right era. But that's not the case. Like Kirilenko was a superstar when he played at his best. You know what I mean? Shane Battier was an all-star when he played his best. He was kind of lucky that he was in an archaic era so that he could use his revolutionary skills to have more impact than he otherwise would if the whole league knew what he was doing.
2: What's going on, everyone? It's the Commissioner here. Wanted to let you all know that we got merch. That's right. We got our first shirt available for the masses just for y'all, for the city of Houston one time to get us ready for the rocket season that's going to be coming here very very soon inspired by a very legendary wrestling tag team the legion of stops made their presence felt in the summer league and are now ready to take their clamps on the rest of the nba ready to take on steph curry lebron james you name it they're gonna be ready to turn the clamps on and get the stop when they need it the inspiration legion of stops which was actually acquired from a previous episode when we mentioned it so if you actually can find that episode i'm not gonna say which one you can see uh, when we said it and how it basically all came to fruition. So we're very excited about that. So check them out right now. They're at the Apollo Houston store on their online store. You can check them out. Apollo H-O-U dot store slash products slash Legion of Stops. That's right. I'll say it once again. Apollo H-O-U dot store slash products slash Legion dash of Stops. Dash stops, and you can also check out our linked tree, it's going to be the first link that pops up if you go through our Instagram and our twitter you'll see it it'll pop up right there so we are just very excited to get this shirt out to y'all it's our very first of many uh, shirts that are going to be releasing throughout the incomingness of the season and we can't wait to get this out to y'all um, we're so excited and we're so thankful uh, we wouldn't be able to, to do this if it wasn't for y'all so we appreciate y'all's support so uh, continue to support us by buying our first ever merch be one of the first to get your hands on it that's right you can find them right now at the Apollo Houston store Apollo H-O-U dot store slash products slash legion dash of dash stops and you can also find it once again on our link tree on our instagram and twitter account right there for you so we appreciate y'all and once again on the sign off go rockets this is jonathan sanford public address announcer for your houston rockets you're listening to the summit state of mind I love what y'all are saying in regards to like Shane Battier, like just hit the footprint that he had made and, and the way that it can, it impacts the players like today. And like, yeah, I always hear that, you know, drop, you know, drop X player and put them in an era and they'll, you know, the, the saying goes, let's drop Steph Curry back in the mm-hmm. 80s and he would wet threes. But no, because if you drop Steph Curry in that era, he's going to play like Steph Curry from that era. He's not gonna play the way he plays now. Like it's just you're just a product of where you where you come from, pretty much, or where the era that you play in. So I love what you said in regards to that. But let's let's backtrack a little bit because I did want to touch upon this mm-hmm. when we acquired Shane Batty I'm gonna say we. I, I keep forget. So when when, when the Rockets it the is part, we. Yeah, it, you guys it, are right. so interested right. in the Rockets. You're right, it's Matt. Weed. Let's go. Let's go. Matt, Matt's a rocket for tonight, and I love it. Oh yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's backtrack here. Shane Battier gets acquired in the 2006 NBA draft in exchange for Stromal Swift and Rudy Gay. At the time, a lot of people like I'll give you a Houston perspective on that. A lot of people in Houston weren't like people were happy, but it was you got a pretty mixed bag out of that because Rudy Gay Mm -hmm. was a very talented player um, coming out of that draft. I was excited initially. Than when we had gotten Rudy Gay, but then five minutes later, and maybe not even ten, not even ten minutes later, you get the announcement that Battier comes, and I was like, and I thought about it, and I was like, at first I was like, what? And I thought about, I was like, oh no, this could really, really work. And I'm only thirteen, no, fourteen at the time, but I can already see. I understood the game enough to know what Battier can already add to this already very strong star power driven um. Uh, team that we had had so let's let's just talk about that they and daryl Mori goes on to say that shane batty was his um was his first like player that he basically had acquired because maury had i mean maury didn't technically have the reins at that point but apparently this was a maury driven trade his first real trade as a as a gm at the time so what i i like to say is like he was already a defensive and i said this earlier when he was in memphis but he comes here and he. Daryl Morey transforms this guy into a freaking Thanos-like defensive player in terms of what he was able to bring to the table. And I loved what you had said earlier in regards to – what Matt, what you said in regards to that because it kind of – every time a championship-caliber team needs a championship-caliber defensive player, you always have that one guy that you need to defend the best player – T-Mac can be that guy, but you want T-Mac to score on the offensive end. He needs to to a degree rest on defense. Like there has to be some type of player that can help him out and be the guy that will take the the, the dirty work. I'll say that. Like and that era of Kobe, Vince Carter was still playing really really well at the time. Um you had obviously LeBron James coming into his own. Like you had these guys so Explain, like, from from the article that you wrote, explain to people that may not know what Daryl did for Shane Battier because he takes him from 100% to 200% in terms of being a defender because of all the analytics. Actually, real quick, I do want to say this real quick because I did take a a snippet of your article, uh, and and I quoted it. So you said that uh, during – well, this is what Battier quoted. He said, before analytics, the scouting report would read, Kobe Bryant, great first step capable 3-point shooter. Will attack the rim, fadeaway shot in the post, and a great competitor. And then Shane goes, "Yeah, thanks. I don't need a scouting report to know that Kobe is a great competitor." I love that line. Hey. It's like <laughs> Shane's like Shane's like, "Dude, I know this. Like, I, come on, bro. You're not talking to a box here. I am literally one of the best defenders in the game. Like, I don't need a scouting report to know this." So, kind of explain like what Daryl did for Shane elevating his defensive prowess.
0: Yeah. Okay, so first of all, you have to think about You know, I I quoted defensive efficiency, right? Think about offensive efficiency. So how many points per 100 possessions is an action worth, right? So like, for example, the number, I don't know how accurate this was. I think he was just quoting a number off the top of his head. But Shane said when Kobe drives to the right, he's a 65% um, finisher around the rim, right? 65% going to his right, whatever, something like that. So that would be roughly like 1.5. Three points per possessions, like 130 points per 100 possessions, Mm -hmm. and but if you can take him to his left, it becomes like I forget what he said, like 43 percent or something, and that goes like that rockets all the way down to like 86 points per 100 possessions, and obviously that's not going to be 100 possessions in a game where Kobe Bryant drives, but you get that where it's like okay, I can take away two, three, four points, so you get to this thing, this this dichotomy, the the scouting report he's referencing that just says Kobe's a great competitor. Those are what's known as qualitative scouting reports. You're talking about the qualities, surface level, right? That's what most scouting reports were, except for in like very important playoff series. Like we said, like that bad boys, Pistons rivalry with the Bulls. That's when they really started to kind of get into the finite details, the data What Battier was getting from Maury was this quantitative scouting report. So it's basically like, okay, he's got a great first step, but like, how great is that first step? You know what I mean? You're putting a number on these things so you can make a business decision as to where you want to try to send guys so you can take away, you know, four, five, six points from their overall offense per 100 possessions. Cause like we said, any given Sunday, it's a game of inches. If you if you could take three four points per one hundred possessions, you know you can win. That's a that's a lot of games. That's a lot of Absolutely. games you're going to win. And that's basically what yeah. what Daryl was doing with Batty. And it took um and it, this is pretty much the whole series. I talk about this with Nash and D'Antoni. It takes innovative tactics from Daryl Morey and D'Antoni, and it takes the just the right conduit. To kind of express that, you know, the right yep. canvas to paint that on. And Battier, um, I talked to his high school coach, always a curious guy, always analytically driven, always wanted to learn, never like a closed-minded person. And it just it just worked out, the two. They were a perfect pair, Maury and mm-hmm. Battier. And I, from what I understand, they're still pretty good friends today.
1: That's awesome. I love to hear that because I can just imagine, like, mm-hmm. Battier walking into Toyota Center and Daryl Maury just literally handing him, like, Um, a binder and it's being like, let's flip this page 73. This is how we're going to guard so-and-so. And And I love that you mentioned the D'Antoni, Steve Nash thing as well, because like you said, things that are, that change the landscape is what we can say, correct? And Mm -hmm. D'Antoni unlocked Steve Nash in the same way that Maury unlocked battier more so for Nash, it was style of play for battier it was all the mental there were so many extra things that he was feeding battier that battier was able he was so receptive to it you just need the right player the right coach gm scout whomever that will allow them to be fully unleashed and I really like that comparison because I really loved Steve Nash at that point. Everyone I, did. I hated oh, him because yeah. he played for Absolutely. Phoenix, and they always killed us. But that offense was legendary, man, and I, I loved that team, especially the first iteration with Joe Johnson. Anyways, besides the point. Um, you know, D'Antoni, former Houston Rocket coach, man. Come on now. Look what he did with James, with James Harden. The very first year that D'Antoni was here, he unlocked Harden from just um, – more or less a scoring guard slash combo guard to turning him to be a combo guard slash visionary point guard, you know, and it's unbelievable to see things like that. And it's kind of crazy how that all worked considering that Daryl Morey was the GM of that as well. But anyways, I just, I, I don't know, man, I love the connections. This is just making me very happy and I love to hear it. You know? Yeah, I mean? that, and, yeah. And like I
0: said, it's like, uh, it's like, a, an expansive universe, any like fiction, expansive universe you can think of, not mm-hmm. just like anime, like what I was thinking of, but like all these pieces are connected. You know what I mean? Like, like Tom Thibodeau, like, Uh you know, revolutionary defensive coach, he revolutionized something called ice pick and roll coverage, where it's basically you're trying to send the ball handler to the baseline. And people say that, you know, that really started to become a thing when he joins the Celtics staff and Doc Rivers in the 2007, 2008 season. But, you know, you watch that, that Rockets team in 2006, 2007, and they were doing that. And it's just like, cool, because you see the string. It's like, okay, you know, Thibodeau was a part of this there, and then he goes on. Or like, here's a great example, and this is something even deeper in the series. We talked about those early Sacramento Kings, right, with Rick Adelman yeah. and Chris Weber. Chris Weber ran a lot of the same kind of post plays that Bill Walton ran on the Portland Trailblazers with Jack Ramsey. And mm-hmm. where was Rick Adelman, an assistant coach, The Portland Trailblazers under Mm -hmm. Jack Ramsey, so it's like all connected in this weird way, and it's just so cool. And that's like you know kind of why like I'm obsessed with this universe, Mm -hmm. just as much as I am with like the actual game itself.
1: I love that because I mean I don't know well I don't know if Kenny knows this, but I was I've been watching the Mm -hmm. animated version of the um, Spider Spider Man TV show from the 90s, and just seeing how everything is intertwined and how everything is connected. When you said like this universe, I'm like oh man that's it i just finished the finale amazing <laughs> tv show i haven't watched it since i was a kid but anyways yeah i just wanted to put that little uh, iteration in there because I, I i love to hear it because especially the thoughts when you're talking about rick Adelman with portland and bill walton and chris weber unbelievable stuff because that's not stuff i've thought about to be completely <laughs> honest with you but you've you've opened yeah and up he likens himself
2: things, yeah. yeah he likens himself to be a uh to be quite the uh stat nerd so the fact that you if you can open this guy's eyes then that's uh you you've done you've done pretty well for yourself matt
0: <laughs> thank you thank you guys i appreciate yeah, that I was, no, it's the for c4 for sure. it's made me like superhuman
2: uh, yeah, I, was, I was gonna say man did you just did you just do some uh so what is it uh gosh was that in tmnt Was that the the what is it? The nutrigen nutrigen or whatever. I don't remember what it's called. It's something. But something you take something Mutagen? and you become superhuman. Mutagen. There you go. Mutagen. Oh, they, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So, so what you're telling me, Matt, is is that the the bad boy Pistons walk so Battier could run? Is that, is that was that kind of what the uh the template the template of what I'm looking at?
0: Well, what I'm kind I think of looking the, at the way? bad boy Pistons. They like they sprinted so Battier could you know. <laughs> Run a marathon because the Pistons still had a lot of success. It's not like they were um, just a stepping. They had, I mean, they had more success than Baddie did, if we're going to be honest Uh, here. uh, But
2: absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, no, absolutely, I totally get that, and and yeah, no, I love what you said in regards to that, and so you know, we're talking about Daryl Morey's uh, presence in Battier's life. It obviously elevated his defensive prowess. I love. The idea – because if you look at what a base defense is, it's about beating your player – beating the offensive player to the spot. It's mm-hmm. really all – like that's – there's no X's and O's in regards to that. Like that's basic – that's the basic tendency of a man defense is to beat your offensive player to the spot to get them uncomfortable. And I loved what Badier would always say, and even if you if you hearken back to – so the Rockets 22-game win streak actually gets chronicled in a documentary where amazing happened. And Battier talks. Did you get the chance to look at that by the way? I've,
0: I've watched the documentary. I've watched oh, it. So I, that's what I was good, saving right?
2: when we were talking
0: pre uh, pre show. I was going to ask you guys if uh, you guys had seen yeah. dude, the documentary.
2: Dude, premiere, bro. YouTube premiere. Like, I lived, when it premiered, we, we I well I watched. It. I can't speak for my brother, but I watched it. And I and uh, I just love the way Battier would talk about Kobe. Like he's like Kobe would go. You know, like he would go right fifty-eight or sixty percent of the time, but he'd only go left like thirty something percent of the time. So he's like, if I can force him left to shoot a mid-range shot because he's, you know, what is it, like twenty percent worse from going left as opposed to going right, he's gonna force him to that spot, and that's basically what the defense is. And I and I love the fact that Battier was able to not only intertwine himself into that, but to really take Daryl's like baby and and br- bring the whole, you know, stat bring the whole, what do you call that analytic thing to life? Like, I love the fact that Betty was able to do that. So, you know, let's, let's go ahead and move forward now. So they let's, let's go ahead and work it in chronological order. So he gets acquired. They become a top defense in the league. Oh, six, oh seven. They ultimately get eliminated by, uh, by your boy, Andre Karolinko, who you're going to another cheap plug. He's going to write the next article is going to be written about Andre Karolinko, Andre Karolinko and the Utah Jazz eliminate us in the uh, first round that year. So we fire Jeff Van Gundy or relieve Jeff Van Gundy of his duties. And we bring on uh, Rick Adelman, who's good. Like we said, or my brother said earlier, brings upon a more offensive flow. So the defense kind of gets muddled a little bit in 07-08. Just the beginning, at least beginning to maybe a little bit close to the middle of the season because they're trying to figure out the offense. But I always found that Battier's presence alone steadied the defense, like even when the defense wasn't great like just baddie being there you can obviously tell and we'll talk about this as we progress but he even you can tell that he's the captain like you can tell he's the one communicating with the guys like he's the one like you have yao you have t-mac who are superior offensive players they are look they're superstars but shane really was the glue like you always have the quote-unquote glue guy shane really was the glue guy so matt talk about like what his impact like in the 22 game win streak and we can talk about the 22 game win streak now. So, so what was his impact like going into the 22 game win streak from, from your perspective, from what you've talked about with, uh, with him and what you've seen with your own eyes?
0: Yeah. Well, so I liken, I liken Shane Battier to Darrell Rivas, who was at his peak around that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was, you know, a sh- He was synonymous for, taking down like these top level receivers like just taking them out of the picture and I think that was Shane's greatest skill because in that era it's a lot about post-ups and isolations and these long drawn out possessions and every every all-star guard except Josh Howard from that time period got worse when Shane Battier played against them Talking Josh about.
2: Howard. Wow, you got to mention Josh Howard. Howard. God, rocket killer, Josh Howard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking
0: about LeBron James, Vince Carter, Kobe Bryant, Carmelo Anthony, you name it. Like, you know, the premier, Absolutely. we're talking about the best wing scorers of that time. Batty A stopped them. And uh, a, a cool part about that 22 game win streak is he played against a lot of those guys. He played the Cavs, he played the Nets, mm-hmm. Um, played played the Nuggets. Just all those guys. And so I think that was really something that that set the table because, again, like we said, you have to think about the era. I, like that that wing score, that isolation score was so important. And so for Batty A to be able to just take away their efficiency and to here's a great story. okay, here's a great story. During that time, they played the Denver Nuggets in one mm-hmm. game. It was a, I think it was a Friday night ESPN game. Doris Burke was on the call, I believe. But, yes. yeah, so Carmelo Anthony comes into town. And the big thing about Battier is he's process over results. He doesn't think about the results. As long as he did what the data tells him to do, he trusts the numbers. He can live with certain things. Carmelo comes in. He hits, like, two sweet midi fadeaways um, to start the game on Battier. Right in Battier's face. Right in his grill. Battier's all over him. And, like, a lot of guys would be like, oh, damn, like, I'm doing something wrong, but Battier didn't care. I think that at the end of the game, Melo ended up taking more shots than he had points, which is always a bad sign, unless always. you're just like a free throw drawing machine. But Melo was not in that game, and the Rockets ended up winning by like 15 or 20 points. So it's just like I think that's the big thing you talk about. It. He was like a steadying force. It's because he he trusted the process. You know, he believed. He didn't let like small sample sizes bother him. He didn't let that cloud his judgment. He was just very calm. And I think that was what he brought to that team because I mean, offensively you you guys talked about it. They were struggling (coughs) a little bit with the implementation of Rick Adelman's corner offense, the same offense he ran with the Kings and Chris Weber. And it was primarily because they didn't have the passing bigs like a Vlade Divac and the Chris Weber, but it was like Battier's ability to kind of just stay the course, kind of trust that once things were put in place, that this was a really damn good team. And I know that you guys end up losing. We, we end up losing in the first round, but that's more so just, I think that like the West was just murder's row. It was was murder's row. Like I would say that probably the top five teams in the league that season played in the Western Conference. Like Utah was such an incredible offense. The Rockets were such a well-balanced team. Yeah. Um, I, I might be getting my years mixed up, but I think it's like the Lakers, of course, the triangle offense was really starting to peak the Spurs, just all those, all those things. So really I think were, it's just, yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. No. Cause I was just going to say, sorry. And I mean, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, no, no, I just I wanted down. to, no, no, I just wanted to get You just wanted to like, even say like, they were so the West was such a juggernaut that the mm-hmm. eighth seed won 50 games. Like exactly it was that good. And I think these younger fans, you know, and, and, and to hearken back for these guys, like a lot of the fans now for the Rockets, they're, they're young. They may not even remember 2000, 2007, 2008. They may have been babies around that time. So it's like, it's, it's crazy when you think about it, like, the the worst team I think Denver Nuggets finish oh seven oh eight as the eighth seed or one of one of those teams finishes the eighth mm-hmm. seed. And yeah, like you said, they were fifty fifty and thirty two. So just imagine that. And even like even and I'm I'm gonna quote the I'm gonna quote the where uh, where amazing happened. Like dude, they were they had won like fifteen in a row at that point. But dude, like they were still like the the gap space between like the number two seed and like the number eight seed was like two games like Mm -hmm. dude where where in the world are you ever gonna see that again like the west was absolutely insane because the eastern conference you had lebron and cleveland's uh you know lebron and cleveland and then you had and then obviously you had this uh celtics that year that had just acquired ray allen and kevin garnett so you knew what that was and then the pistons were kind of they were on a downward trajectory at that point so really it was only boston and cleveland but you had in the west you're right you had seven or eight teams that if they just got hot at the right time you could see a trip to the finals for any of these teams so it was pretty crazy to see battier in the mix of all that
0: yeah and i'll, I'll say this and this is not like something i'm willing to die by but this is my theory of yeah. why utah kind of had the rockets number during that time And i think it's because it was just like you know one thing we've learned about the playoffs is it's matchup dependent. It's a lot about personnel versus personnel because, like, you know, there's just a lot of a lot of great teams, a lot of great coaches. And I think that Utah, because they didn't have that wing isolation scorer that Battier could kind of key in on, I think that's the reason Utah was kind of able to get the best of them. Because if you watch those games, I watched a couple of those games, like Battier is kind of like a kind of quiet. I know he has a couple of like yeah. really good shooting games. But on defense, yeah. you don't feel him as much as you do – when nope. they would play like the Lakers or the the Hawks or something of that nature. So I think that might be part of the unluckiness where you guys just kind of got stuck with a team that was like perfect for you. guys. And even in that, even with it being like perfect, they still like, they were like seven game series. So, I mean, Ruling. it's just, un- <coughs> yeah, it's unfortunate that the Rockets had to play in the West during that time. Because yeah, I think they would have made a deep run.
1: It was grueling. It was very Mm -hmm. grueling, especially those two years between 2006-2007, 2007-2008. That 2006-2007 team, we believe that they should have definitely made it at least to the Conference Finals that year. You harken on the fact of matchups, right? That 06-07 playoff run was where, was it Dallas was the first seed and Golden State was the eighth seed. And Don Nelson was the coach of those Warriors, and he was the foil for those Mavericks teams. And that was the year I think that Dirk Nowitzki did win the MVP. Mm-hmm. And he, they mm-hmm. had to present it to him after the first round and not usually when it's presented, the MVP is still on the court. They present it in front of the fans. He had to do it in a press in a press conference. And that's just like mind blowing. But I, I believe that you, you, I would say this in terms of how you said like the magic dependency and, and the effectiveness of Shane Battier, you're probably correct on that. I mean, the most effective players in the terms of the Jazz was their All Star, multi All Star point guard Darren Williams. Like, um, and then your favorite player Andre Kirilenko. Totally kidding. <laughs> and then they had a very, very impactful five in terms of Memento Core that could stretch the floor when need be. He was like the evolved version of what Sam Perkins was for the Sonics, mm-hmm. and uh, Carlos Boozer. Who was a mastermind in the mid range? He had just left Cleveland, and it was just mind-boggling for us because our weakest positions were their strongest ones: point guard and the power forward. Uh, Rafer Austin and Meadow and not Medo- sorry, for Austin and Juwan Howard in that first year, and so and then the second year came on, and it was just even worse. No Yao, and we were running with Scola Landry, and you know it—it it was just. It was and Rafer had life.
2: missed. Yeah, Rafer had missed uh, like the like the first two games. Like he had missed the first two of games. Came back. Yeah, he yeah, Rafer missed the first two games of the series of Vienna an injury, and then he comes back in game three. Mm-hmm. Uh he comes back comes back in game three, we win game three, and then we lose in game four, so we go down three yeah. one. So the uh-huh. Rayfer not being there as well was was steady yeah. in that. But yeah. then to even add on to even add on to that as well, like they had the defenders to guard T Mac as well. You had Andre Kirilenko, Gordon Giercek, uh, Matt Harpering. These were guys that were they they were, you know, they weren't scared to go into the trenches, and they knew their mindset was like, okay, we just gotta stop T Mac. And then everyone else everyone else can beat us that was the mantra and they even said that like they even said in an interview like t-mac can the goal was to stop t-mac and force the hand of everybody else force it upon a chuck hayes or a shane battier like we're gonna let shane battier shoot every three he wants to shoot and we'll they'll live with the results there so i totally get what you're saying uh matt in regards to that because yeah it definitely has to be matchup related like you could you would like like you said like let's think about it like this battier's most impactful series was Oh my gosh, the Lakers series against Kobe. So you're right. Like it is, it does go down to matchup. Shane Batty was just one of the best. And I will, I will, um I will die on this hill that Shane Batty is the, one of the greatest one-on-one defenders of all time. I don't think there's very many that are better. Um Just perfect. I agree. Perfect wingspan. Yeah. Perfect wingspan. Six, eight, six, nine um his smarts his ability to you know attack and 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 beat like i said beat the offensive players to their spots so uh, that's why he's he's earned the right on on blazing the trail as as one of your top 10 talents right i mean that that's why he's he's there so let's let's move forward now so the 22 game win streak happens obviously um betty make, makes great effect there and he Really solidifies himself in Houston. I mean, he's pretty much a, a like a local folk hero at this point in Houston. <laughs> and then, especially the twenty-two second game when it got famous that Battier decided, oh, okay, I'm going to put the hand in Kobe's face. Which to this day, I still play defense like that, and it's because of Shane. Like Shane's imprint on the game. And, and 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 Matt, I know you know Shane. So if you if if you ever tell Shane in the future, like there's a random Filipino guy in Houston that plays league that plays basketball, he still uses his. Hand in the face defense, and I beat defenders, and I beat the offensive players to their spot. You could say it's because of him. So. <laughs> beat Justin, huh? You beat Justin. Yep, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all love. It's all love. So let, let's, okay, y'all. Let's fast forward now to a year later. We acquire on our test, and Shane Battier finally has like a running mate defensively, a guy who in my opinion, goes completely opposite of what Shane is. Like, Shane is all analytics. Ron was all instincts. Like, Ron seemed like the type of guy I was like, alright, show me the analytics. Okay. And the throws it, you know, throws it or crumbles it and throws it into a you know, yells Kobe while he throws it into a trash bin. Like, that's what, that's what I that's the perfect, it was like the perfect sauce for these two to really work. Um, Matt, give us like your two cents on like that year, that, how like, the pairing of a Ron Artest to go with Shane Batty to fully like now, like, cause in my opinion, in my opinion, anyways, this was uh, the Rockets most uh, either successful year, not statistically speaking, but this was their best year to win a title. Like in my opinion, if everyone had stayed healthy. So from your perspective, what did you see from that year and uh, with the acquisition of Ron Artest? And did you see it as helping Shane Battier, Like in the long run, obviously.
0: Yeah, they were kind of like fire and ice. You know, it's uh, Artes, you know, he's famous for the melee. He was the defensive player of the year. I don't know if he was the best defender in the world that season, but he was definitely like a top, you know, 10, 15 defender or whatever in the league. You know, he comes in, he's, you know, rough and tough. He's strong. He can guard multiple positions. He can bang with, with some big guys. And then you got Battier, of course, who's like this analytical darling. He's he's all about uh, precision to, attention to detail so that worked well and then of course like obviously he went down but like on paper imagine like we think about today's like toronto raptors they're all this length and you know switchability imagine like mcgrady battier artest like how nasty that would be switching and just being able to do all these different things so yeah it gave them the thing that so in the playoffs when you're in the playoffs there's three teams that win nba titles there's three types of teams Historically great offenses, historically great defenses, or super well balanced teams, teams with versatility who can, you know, they have a lot of different relievers in the bullpen. Um, and that kind of getting that artes guy, that versatile piece who later on, you know, goes and you know, he kind of pulls a a Benedict Arnold in, heads to the Lakers, yeah. and he he wins titles. You know what I mean? Like those kind of guys are the kind of guys you're looking for if you want to make deep runs because again if it's matchup based yeah there's some things you can't control but you can stack the deck in your favor by having these versatile pieces that you could throw into a bunch why did robert ory always seem to be on championship level teams it's not because he had seth pardon now talks in his book he doesn't have this god-given winners mentality that just like flips on where he goes from being like a pedestrian player to an all-time great player no it's because he was versatile and he could fill a lot of different roles for the teams he was on. In Houston, he was more of a ball handler, a passer. And, you know, he could shoot. And then on the Spurs, they needed him to do a little bit more defensively, all this and that. It's just, yeah. So versatility wins the day. And that's what Ryan Tess really did for that Rockets team.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I love that you bring that up, especially how mm-hmm. you and Kenny both had to emphasize, like, the how the opposites attract kind of deal. I mean, you know, Artest and Battier is based like Shoto Todoroki from My Hero Academia, man. Mm-hmm. Fire and Ice, wow. dude, trying to fight each other. But then when they come together, they're just great. FYI, probably my favorite character, My Hero. Anyways, that's besides the point. Um, I That that acquisition, man, especially to pair with Battier of Run Artest and with McGrady, I agree with Kenny. You know, that was like the time that I truly believe that there was me a championship and versatility was yep. there. That team could guard anybody one through five, you know, especially with Rafer T Mac could go to the smallest guard. If need be Shane could guard you in the perimeter, go down to the post. Same as Ron, man. And it, it just seemed like that we could never get things right that year. Granted, we made yeah. it to the second round. We got, that was the first time in 12 years. and, Wonderful, wonderful memories of that season. That was probably my favorite season of that whole tenure. No offense to the 22-game winning streak, loved it. But I'm like, I'm i just the playoff success guy. I, I that's just how it is. Like you, you can somehow win in the big stage. I love that. But um, you know, this the fond memories of, of of it all. I mean, Kenny and I went to the open practice. We got to shake run our test, and Shane Battier's hand. Kenny, you remember? That was a that was quite the time. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. No, it was fun. Yeah, absolutely. No, we yeah enjoyed it. It was, uh, it was yeah, it was a lot of fun. That whole year as a whole was just it encapsulated so much joy, and and you kind of got to see, uh, the seeds that were planted. I mean, Battier's defense was just it. It got taken to another level. It got to the point where you anticipated the matchups between Battier and Kobe, Battier and LeBron, Battier versus whoever was on the Celtics at that point. The big three, like you had mm-hmm. these matchups where. You you were looking forward to it. It was weird. Like I we had like star we had the stars. We had Yao. T Mac was in and out of the lineup. We had Ron. We had Luis Scola. But like I was looking for. It was odd. I was looking forward to the defensive matchups. Like I'd never seen that. Like I'd never felt that. So that was kind of like the effect that Battier kind of had on me. I couldn't wait to see him guard Carmelo Anthony and and all those other all the other star wings star uh, guards to see how he would impact the game and then looking at the stats and like all right all right uh mellow shot shot six of 22 fantastic you know like you got to see it happen in real time and i and, and it was it's such a lasting legacy in my opinion for what Shane batty represented mm-hmm. he was such a he was a winner like the first let's see as uh, a three years of his t- of his tenure here we won 50 plus games i mean mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a testament that's a testament to to Battie i mean that's not you're right. Like, he's not, if you put him on a team, like a struggling team, they're not going to, he's not going to instantly make him championship caliber. But like you said, you put him next to pieces that are already kind of going and the engine's already kind of ready to go. He's the one that'll take you to from 100% to 200%. So I totally agree with you there.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Coach Fisdell says the same thing. Like, in Miami, they lose the 2011 um, NBA championship. And there's a lot of reasons Shane wasn't the only thing there. But like, when he comes, they become this. This championship-winning team, you know, so he's a what you'd call a ceiling raiser in that there regard. There you go. That's what I like. And to those, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and those are the things. Like, I mean, you guys are going to start experiencing that. We we're going to start experiencing this soon. When once that core is all, you know, put together with sangoon and Green and all that, mm-hmm. and you need to start finding those like those ancillary ceiling raiser guys, you know, when you're trying to make those deep playoff runs.
2: Well, I've now, now. I have to ask. Now I have to. I we have to dip on a random side quest for just a split second before we dive back into Battier. But what from an from an outsider's perspective, what do you think of this Houston Rockets team like right now with Jalen Green gonna, and KPJ?
0: I'm going to write a lot of articles about them. I think they're going to be fun. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to get more of a feel for Green and like who yeah. I should start to look to historically in terms of like realistic outcomes for him. I'm not like I'm not into like college prospect scouting. So I don't really get exposed to these guys until they get into the NBA. So I just read a lot from like the college reports and then I watch, you know, so I watched a a decent bit of green last season. I I want to watch more of him, but I'm excited. I mean, I just think they're gonna be fun. I, you know, I think they're gonna be a fun team. I'm excited for coach Silas to have another year with this group. Um, They're not probably not going to make the play in. This year, the West that is, totally is okay the West That's is kind of two thousand eight two thousand eight ish stacked right now. Yeah. But uh, yeah. they're, gonna, they're they're going to be on the top of my my watch lists for sure this season.
1: <laughs> there you we're, go. We're happy to hear that, man? Because I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're so excited. We're ready to see them play. We're ready to see Jabari Smith next to um Jalen Green, Shang-Goon. Yeah, Jabari.
0: He's uh, I from what I understand, he's like a um. Another shameless plug, but he's kind of like a modern-day Rashard Lewis, who got covered in Chapter Two of Blazing the Trio.
2: There you go, put the Matt. You you are the plug man. Put the plugs in, dude. I don't care. This is this pod. This episode is literally uh, for you. So put them in. <laughs> in. Put them in. Put them in when you can. Don't be shameless about it. So absolutely, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, this rocket team is gonna be so much fun to cover, and as well, man. Like even. Well, you know, we're going to start wrapping up here pretty soon. But, like, any time in the future, like, when you post these articles up, man, be sure to tag us so we can help you pump it out, man. We really – we can't – we look forward to reading uh, what you have to put out there. And I just – I love it, dude. It's like we're so entrenched. And don't get me wrong. This is great. Uh, Rockets, I love y'all. Rockets Twitter, I love y'all. H-Town love, like, till I die. But it's really cool and refreshing to see it from a different perspective of someone that doesn't live here, that doesn't Mm – really doesn't, you know, that doesn't f- fully is, like, immersed into the city. It more so you're looking at...
1: What's it called? A set of eyes of... That is... What's the word? It's right at the tip of my tongue. But you're, you're, you're viewing it from a lens of where you're just observing from the outside. You're not, like, yeah. a fan like Kenny and I. You're, an
0: objective observer?
1: Yes. C was an O word. I knew it. You see, you read me. You read me. There. Yeah, he's an, an objective me? observer. That, that,
2: he's a that, double that. O.
0: How about I, I put this in Battier terms? Um, I'm able to look at the thing unemotionally. That's what Battier always says that Maury <laughs> taught him to do. He taught Fact. him how to play the game unemotionally. There you go.
2: Absol- there you go. Absolutely. There you go. Totally. Like I said, and here's here's a good segue back in. Totally opposite of Ron Artest. Totally mm-hmm. opposite. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we don't even need to go into that. But All right. Let's 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 get ready to wrap this up with the, the last few bits of questions. Um, Matt, I have to ask you. What, in your opinion, after doing all these – Doing so much reading, you, you and you—I'm assuming you've talked to Shane, right? You've talked to Shane, interviewed yeah. Shane, so you've got mm-hmm. okay, okay, awesome. So, like, from based on what you've gotten from you, when you got to know him, the articles you've read, the videos you've seen, what is in your opinion is Shane batty's most successful year? Like, is it on the Rockets? Is it Memphis? Is it Miami? Like, what do you think?
0: Um, a singular season, kind of tricky to pinpoint. I would say that two thousand six two thousand nine range. Um, that's, that's probably where he peaks and he peaks off at something between like a 35 top 35 to top 20 player, depending on how, how you view him. And of course, if you're a top 20 player, you are indeed an all-star. Of course he didn't, he didn't get that, but it seems like the Michael Lewis title was not just a clever play on words.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you entirely, uh, that, that 06, range, like it was, I would oh, say, man. yeah.
0: And I need to hear this from you guys, how, 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 off, off base I am, but I would probably say he's the second best Rockets player on the Rockets from 06 to 09 with mm. McGrady being one. Whoa.
1: Um, I, I would say an overall, <laughs> I mean, as much as I love Yao, as mm-hmm. much as I love Yao, you know, um, the impact that Battier brought kind of impacted everyone else. He was a piece that wasn't just, I wouldn't say what self-serving in the sense, right? Um, mm. Yao, there's so much he could do in the defensive end, but there's only limitations of what he can do. Same with mm. the offense event. What? The thing about Shane was that hes he can stand in the corner and wait to hit in three, but he also, he can go to the mid post. Because what everyone always, the funny thing was people glorified his post game it almost in a way that was like, how, like sarcastic, you know? Yeah, like, mockingly. That, watch that Shane Baddier post game. But it was legit. But he was, was good. The, he left was good. Hook. the left yes, hook. Yes, it's the baby hook. The baby exactly. hook. Exactly. The baby hook. <laughs> it's very arguable that you could put him as the second best player. Um, and I would say, in terms of impact, definitely. In terms of stats, no, in terms of how much i love my guys i don't know man you put me in a tough spot there dude i did love a lot of those players <laughs> from that time <laughs> oh
2: man uh, again okay, i can right. look at it unemotionally.
0: Yeah. i could be like you know okay well, what 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 is it well let's get down to the nitty gritty i don't have any <laughs> i love them all equally but, right, um, right. Not, not to, not to, like you know, take anything away from Yao. The thing I, I haven't gotten a chance to mention this. Yao, incredible rim protector. The, you know, the great, the Great Wall of Yao was a very real thing. Um, but like, it's kind of like you said, the matchups thing with Mehmet Okur. Mehmet O'Kerr was able to kind of move and him out to the perimeter. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Move him out to the perimeter, give him a hard time because you know Yao wasn't wasn't a very mobile guy as as we later learned with the foot problems. But. Yeah, it's like, okay, so here's how I think of it. Like, Ben Wallace, right, an all-time historically great defender, you know, one of the Mm -hmm. 10, 15 best defenders ever. Shane wasn't that, but you have to also think that Wallace was, like, a bad offensive player, you know? He didn't, he he was, it was like, yikes, you know, at times. Whereas Battier's, like, he's a really, really good defender, and then on offense, he's, like, a really, really, really good, like, complementary piece, you know?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, and I, yeah, and I totally get it from your perspective, man. That's that's hard, man. You're putting if you're putting me behind the eight ball there in terms mm-hmm. of uh, in terms of being a number two, man. The argument going towards Battier would be like Yao put up stats, and we can all argue that Yao was one of the best centers, arguably the best center um, of that era. Uh, behind you know you could argue that Shaq was already on the downward trajectory, Dwight Howard, and and Yao just. Yao would just eat Dwight's lunch, like, every time they faced off. Like, you can easily say that. But on the other hand, Yao put up stats on, you know, they wouldn't make the playoffs, or they wouldn't make the playoffs, but they wouldn't be contenders. Like, the argument saying, like, when you said ceiling raiser, um, Battier would catapult you into a championship contender just by his presence. And and very few times you can say, like, a guy, typically when you say, when you become a championship, oh, they're a championship contender now, like, you typically think an all-star comes onto their team like Ray Allen and KG. Oh yeah. They're championship contenders. Now LeBron going back to Cleveland. Oh, they're championship contenders. You know what I mean? Chris Paul going to the Phoenix suns. Oh, okay. They have a chance of being a championship contender. Like Shane Batty is one of the very few in that pocket where it's like, he's was never an all-star, but he made the team a championship contender. So I can see that. And, and from a non-biased view, I could see it from your perspective from a bias view. I can still see it from your perspective. And that's the sad thing because I love Yao. But is one of my favorite Rockets of all time. He could easily be the second most important player. Yeah. You know what I mean? We
0: well, have to think about it like this. We're talking about that Rockets team. Like if things break a different way for them, you know, they could be in an Eastern Conference final. I mean, excuse me, a Western Conference, a Conference finals. Right. And then we're talking about them in a completely different way. So Absolutely. Conference yeah. Finals yeah. teams. You know how great the third best player on Conference Finals teams is? Like, Look at the the Miami Heat, right? We'll say that like Jimmy Butler, best player. Bam Adebayo, second best player. And then when he's healthy, like Kyle Lowry, third best. You know how, how great Kyle Lowry is at basketball. Dude, so when you're calling so Yao good. Ming the third best player on a championship caliber team, you're not slating the guy. He's still like a you know borderline All Star type guy when you when you break it down. It's just I, I to me. I think there's there's a real argument. I wouldn't say it's like definitive, like how there's an argument. Say, to like, be made. Yeah, yeah, you could say like, for example, to me, like definitively, Draymond Green is the second best warrior mm-hmm. on that team. To me, mm-hmm. no, whereas I, think, I I don't I think it's it. that cut and dry with Shane on some of those Rockets teams.
2: Yeah, I can see it from your perspective. Absolutely. And and yeah, and we totally back you on that part too because we <laughs> from the Draymond Green perspective mm-hmm. because Draymond Green is super impactful. And I know I could probably give a whole pod about how I feel about Draymond Green mm-hmm. actually from a non-biased perspective and how important he is to that Warriors team. But I'm going to digress on that point. <laughs> Let's. Uh, last question before we go home here, Matt. What should Shane Battier's lasting legacy be?
0: He told me something that kind of resonated with me And he just Mm. said, I play basketball because I asked him. I'm like, Shane, you know, people. So basketball, at the end of the day, it's like a hedonistic endeavor. You do it because it's fun. It's like in its essence. It's fun. It's a fun game. Right. Mm -hmm. For me and for you guys to stick around in it, because we weren't gifted enough like Shane to play it in our like play it professionally for us to stick around in this field and be able to talk about it for money. We had to. Get into the nerdy stuff, you know—the stuff that like we made. We had to, we had to make it an academic discipline, you know. Of course. So I asked Shane, I'm like, "Why did you do that? Because you were a five star recruit. You had your pick at any college. You end up being a blue blood, going to Duke, and even before you kind of embraced the data with Maury, like you were still like a good player, and you were going to be in the league and get paid, and you know, get to do what you want." Why would you do that? He's like, I play basketball for one reason, and that's to win. And if I if there's anything that gives me a better chance of doing that, I'm gonna do it. And so, what we should remember Shane for, obviously, he's the data ball defender. You know, he's he's attention to detail. He's you know, uh, maniacal, like a serial serial killer, or whatever. But he day, he wanted he wanted to win, and he was the ultimate competitor. And I think that's something in life we should appreciate because you know what's life without passion? What's life without drive? So I guess that's really the lasting legacy of Shane Battier to me.
2: Look, wow, what a great response! That was that was a fantastic answer. I oh, geez love that, Louise. To be honest, I love that.
1: It just kind of shows the drive of who he is and and um, the type of competitor he is. I mean, yeah. he'll too. He'll take any way to win. Not in the Michael Jordan way. You know, Michael Jordan is just...
0: He won't punch anybody.
1: Exactly. But Shane will take any type of advantage he can, you know. And I love that. I love that. Justin,
2: who's... Justin, who's... uh, What's his his lasting legacy? Shane? Yeah. What are your opinion? What's his lasting legacy?
1: Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, what we see the most is his defensive prowess on Kobe Bryant, man, his innovative defense, you know, the man was innovative in his own way. He wasn't the most athletic guy. He wasn't the most outspoken guy. He was just a brainiac that was really, really good at basketball and taking advantage of things that made him the better to the best version of himself. Um. I, in terms of image, yeah, that in terms of overall impact i would say pioneer man he was certainly a pioneer in what he did and what he brought to the table um you know he was the first guy that you can truly say that embraced analytics from for maury and made him look good and you see a lot of teams incorporate the way maury's thought process was and shane battier was the pioneer that kind of brought all that to life. So, I guess that's something that I would lean on in terms of his legacy for sure.
2: Mm, good point. And I guess for me, uh, Betty's lasting legacy is Kobe Bryant is some argue maybe the greatest player of all time in my opinion, top 3, top 4, maybe greatest player of our, of all time. Um best player of our era, of of our era and and I'll just reference what Kobe said. Kobe said, what's the toughest defender you ever played against? And he said, Shane Battier, and there would be nothing he could do to rattle him. He'd talk trash, he could shoot a three right in his grill, hand in the face. He, Kobe would talk trash, and Battier would just smile and wouldn't say a word, and that's when Kobe was like, man, there's nothing I can do to get to this guy. So that, yeah. that, that was Battier's last... Th- I mean, in my opinion, that would be Battier's lasting legacy, the ability to be steadfast as a defender yes. and to trust... Like you said, trust the process. And he was an ultimate. That's what made him an ultimate defender, which ultimately turned him into a, uh, a winner. And you saw that every team he went on, he positively impacted them. And you can see that from what he was able to do. That's, in my opinion, that's his lasting legacy. The fact that Kobe, someone like Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, who can show you that type of respect being the greatest defender he ever played against, that's that's nothing to sneeze at from that perspective. And Kobe's being the one of the greatest players of all time. That's the ultimate uh, salute there. So, yeah. Yeah, he you said opinion. it perfectly.
0: You said it perfectly, both of you. <laughs> um, Shane would be proud. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> Send the message, send the message over, but uh, let's get ready and go home here. Matt, I just want to thank you uh, personally from, from myself, from my brother. Um, thank you so much for coming on, on our podcast. We appreciate it. You know, coming in Michigan time and, and you're over here and you're totally giving us like your perspective, a uh, very fantastic article blazing the trail. Y'all really need to check it out. Go give it a good read. It is fantastic. Some, in my opinion, Probably one of the one of the most like well written, like there's very well written stuff, but it was very, very well written. So, Matt, you were just you're just on your way, dude. You're doing your thing. And uh, I can't read. I can't wait to read the rest of it. I can't wait to read Andre Karolinko. It's going to be a lot of seething on my part, but I can't wait. to I can't wait to read it. I'm very excited. <laughs> so let's uh, let's open up the red carpet for you right now. Matt, uh, give the people your your Twitter handle, where they can find you, all the websites, where they can find Blazing the Trail once again.
0: Yeah. I just want to say really quickly thank you so much guys for the kind words and for your time for letting me on the show. Um I'm I'm really enamored by your guys' kind of duo. It makes me want to be like related to you guys almost in a weird way. But uh anyway, <laughs> no, no, I, remember, bro. My remember. My, my, my last it's my it. last Summit. plug. Yeah, <laughs> my last plug is um you could follow me on Twitter, you can find all my work there. It's at Matisa fifteen, that's at M A T I S S fifteen. I post all my work on there. Of course, go on basketballnews.com. There's a ton of great writers Nikias Duncan, Mark Schindler, all that stuff. Uh, you can find the Blazing the Trail series. It's an article and podcast series. But check it out. You know, it goes a long way. It reminds me I'm not just talking to myself when I'm maniacally watching games from like 1992 trying to figure out if uh, this guy played like this guy or whatever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> no, I love man, to I, hear that Yeah. Thing. No, that's basically what we are. I mean like you know we 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 do uh we're losers, we, we're nerds. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, I you know what? And fully, fully embrace embraced. it, Matt. Fully, fully embrace it, baby. This is who we are, man. We are we are we are nerds and we are proud. I am a pr- I am <laughs> proud to be a basketball nerd. This is what we're here for. So <laughs> That I appreciate you. My brother appreciates you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much for coming on our podcast once again, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thank you guys.
2: The Summit.
0: for, 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 for